Hi, I'm Richard, the founder of 10 Adventures, and this is the 10 Adventures podcast. Each week, we talk to real people about real adventures as they explore this incredible planet we all live on. Welcome back to the 10 Adventures podcast. The word Kilimanjaro is evocative and one of those place names that it seems everyone knows about. I think of a stunning volcano surrounded by a tropical landscape and nearby national parks uh, where you can see incredible wildlife, but also the wonderful people that make a trip to Tanzania so rewarding. But for people that want to climb Kili, it's, it's not as straightforward as just, you know, taking one route up to the top as I originally thought it was. There are lots of different routes, each with their own pros and cons. That's why I'm excited to have Daniel James and head guide Julius John Whitey join us today. They're from Asante Tours, a local tour operator in Tanzania that specializes in adventure holidays. Hi, Julius and Daniel. Hello, hello, hello Jumbo. Richard. I am super excited because Kili's on my bucket list. It's one of those things I've, I've actually spent about a month in Tanzania, but I never did Kili. I did kind of everything else but that. Um, and so I'm interested because I'm thinking of doing Kili the next few years. Like, let's start with why are there all these different routes that go up Kilimanjaro? Yeah, the special way of Kilimanjaro have different routes is because of how it's called freestanding mountain in the world. So it has different angles from easier to harder according to how the lava flow from the beginning. So it offered a different way of climbing according to ability. There are shorter routes, there's longer routes, there's harder routes and easy routes. So we have like six routes on Kilimanjaro. So the first question, you know, somebody who's never been there, what do you recommend for a beginner, for somebody who, you know, just wants to get to the top of Kili in a way that's, you know, not going to be technically challenging and going to be really rewarding and fun? Okay. Uh, For our side, we recommend maybe three routes because of different uh, uh, reasons. First of all, the easiest route is Marango route. Marango route, it can be climbed for five days, but we recommend climbing for six days. Uh, Day two, you will have an extra day for acclimatize. Then day three from there, you're going to Kibo, after Kibo, then summit, then back to Horombo, and then on your way down via uh, Mandara Hut. So Marango route for whoever don't want the challenge of obstacles or rocks or very uh, uh, technical areas, they can go Marango route. Number two, Rongai route is the second easiest. Rongai route, the same, you can climb for six days, but we recommend seven days also for have an extra day for acclimatizing. So day one, you're starting from the gate to Simba camp. From Simba, you go to a second cave. And from second cave, there, there is option of two routes. The one goes to left, which goes to Mawenzi Tanhat, or you can go to the right, which goes to uh, the third cave. From there, 
third cave, you go to uh, School Heart, then Summit. Or the other way, you can go to Kikelelwa. After Kikelelwa, you go to Mawenzi Tanhat. After Tanhat, then you go direct to Kibohat, then Summit. Going down, you're using the Marango route uh, from Kibo to Horombo, which is 3,700. And then from there, you just go all the way down via Mandara route, all the way to Marangu Gate. So that's number two option for the easiest. Number three option, it's a longer route, which even some of the very famous people did it. So this is Lemosho route, of which is coming from the west side of Kilimanjaro. And Lemosho route, it's very longer because it's very shorter from one camp to another also from that side also you are sending slowly to give yourself chance to acclimatize more so you're starting from the gate then from the gate you're going to 3700 ish which is this is a big tree camp after big tree camp you're going up to shira one camp which is 3500 and then from there, uh, day two, uh, you're going to uh, Shira one camp. Day three, you're going to Shira two camp, which is 3,800 meters. So not as much ascending, but the distance. And then after uh, day three, Shira two camp, then you're going to Barranco uh, via Lava Tower, which is 4,600 give you a really big chance to acclimatize. So you go down to Lava Tower uh, on day four. And then day five from Lava Tower uh, down to Barranco. Then day five from Barranco, you're going up to uh, Karanga Camp. Day five Karanga Camp, which is the same height as Barranco Camp, which is 3,900. From there, you go via Barranco Wall. This is why I advise the first ones for the one who are really afraid of heights, they could go to Morangu and Rongai because that way you don't go to Barranco Wall. But they are this way, the other three are four ways, they all have to go through Barranco Wall, which has the height of uh, from the bottom to the top around 2,000. 300 meters. So so the Barranco wall, what is that? Is that just like scrambling or do you have to use a harness and rope? Um, Barranco wall is mainly scrambling. You don't need to use ropes. Only for whoever is strictly afraid, just to show him or her that he's safe, we just put ropes to encourage them that they are safe. But normally we just go without any rope. And it's, it's wide enough but you still see a distance on your right-hand side. Like, if I fall, there is a distance. That's what people get. How wide is the path? I know that's always the question. You know, some people, they need a path. If it's one, you know, half a meter wide, that's wide enough. Some people want it, the path to be three meters wide. Is this a very narrow path you're on and going up Barranco Wall, or is it quite wide? Um, there are some spots, which are like three spots on the quarter of the climb as you start there are three spots which are like one meter wide okay yeah one meter wide with the edge 
very sharp edge. But the other, the other spots, they can be two meters, even three meters in a big wide corners, but you still see a great, great view in a, in a way, yeah. So those are the easier routes up the Marengo, Rongai, and Lamosho. What are some of the other routes that are popular going up to the top of Kilimanjaro? Exactly. The other routes which are popular, I would say Machame route, yeah. which Machame route is the second hardest mm. in a climbing way. So, so far, uh, we have talked of Morang route, easiest, and the second easiest is Rongai route, and the third easiest is Lemosh route, and the Londoros route, which are almost coming the same way. Lemosho and Londoros routes, they're coming from west of Kilimanjaro. But Machame route is the second hardest. The first hardest is Umbwe route. Umbwe route, um, from day one and day two, they are different from Machame route. But day three, they are joining Machame route. So it's almost the same. It's becoming most popular because it has different taste like sour and nicer some days like you got challenged this day this day is easier and it has different views of yeah. the kilimanjaro not only one side so day one you have this view like almost the half of the top of the mountain day two you have almost all the half of the mountain Day three, you're sleeping on Barranco Camp, which is the same way as Lemosho people. So you have all the foundation of Kilimanjaro sleeping on base of it. So you see all of it. And then the same way as you go to Koranga Camp, then you see even more better view, but you're like walking away from it. But you also have another greater view. And then from Koranga, you're going to... Barafu camp, which is a base camp, 4,600. There is like you're getting ready for your night and getting ready for your successful to the highest. So from all these days, you will be able to go ups and downs, which offer a lot of ability to acclimatize, to get yourself ready for the summit. So even if we say it's the hardest, doesn't mean it will be like pain all the time you're going. No, it's just a little more challenge compared to the okay. other routes. The other routes are more smoother. They say no Barranco wall, no more obstacles. But the other routes also, they do have uh, little obstacles like rocky wise. But not for all day, just few spots, then you're good to go all the way. And so what's the standard day? You know, if you're if you're trekking... Uh, on Kili, what time do you wake up? What's food like? How long walking is it? What's camp like? You know, for someone who has never been there, how would you describe a typical day? Okay, so I would say basically you wake up at six. And then after waking up at six, depend how big the group is. If bigger group, wake up at six. And then around 6 Saturday, you get warm water for washing. And then seven, you get breakfast, full breakfast on the uh, mess tent or the mess hut. Uh, why is it like one hour from six to seven? Because after wake up, we expect you 
to start packing your sleeping bag and your clothes. So as you come for breakfast, your bag is ready. You're not finishing breakfast and go back to pack. No, 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 no. So mountaineers need you to just, as you go to breakfast, your bag is ready. Just leave little things like toothbrush and wash things if you need to do after your breakfast so you're ready to go. Just get your small uh, day packs. So that's wake up at 6, 6.30 warm water for washing, and then 7 breakfast. After 7, then we'll give you breakfast from 7 to 8. So you also have like one hour. And then around 8, just be ready to go normally. So after waking up, you normally have one hour and a half to two hours before you leave. So you say 8 latest to leave. But if you're ready at 7.30, 7.20, you can still go to make your day better. On the way, you can trek maybe for four to, to six hours, depend of how long the day is. So normally from four to six hours. If it can be really difficult day, like depend of how fit uh, the person is, it can go up to maybe uh, uh, seven, seven hours on the way. So that's including breaks, including lunch on the way and things like that. So not only going continuously all the way. No, you can have times for break all the way. After that, then you get to the next hut because if it's a short day, you get lunch in the camp if it's just four hours, but if it's six to seven hours, then you go pack lunch. You eat that pack lunch on the way. The pack lunch can be uh, uh, different things. Let's say like French toast, eggs. It can be uh, chicken, uh, like fruits, fruits such as uh, apple or banana, uh, cucumber, some bits of vegetable. So it's pretty much uh, loaded according to how much calories uh, people need because the cook here on the mountain, they can cook international meals as well as there's many different nationalities we have on the mountain. So they are studying all the recipes. They know all the recipes accordingly. So you will not have all our only African food like ugali or uh, just going to chase the buffalo or something. No, no. You just all have all of these different like pancakes and sausages and all of these uh, 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 nice uh, breakfast as well as the lunch. But mainly when you get to the camp, you get to, to, to sign yourself in after signing yourself in, you will be shown your room if it's Marango root. Marango root is only root with the uh, 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 cabins or rooms. So you're sleeping into this proper mattress in the huts and special huts for lunch and dinner and uh, tea time. But all other five routes, you sleep into the tent. So if you arrive there, then you will be giving your tent your tent will have your number, the number that you'll be given or you will choose. And then that will be your tent for the rest of the trip. 
So after getting there, then you are going to get into your tent, be ready then for a proper lunch, if not lunch on the way. And then after that, it's just uh, relaxing in the camps until around maybe 6.30 to 7, which that will be a dinner time. And dinner then can be served for maybe rice with beans, uh, rice with chicken, it can be rice with beef or rice with different vegetable as well. But also can be mashed potato, can be uh, pastas, can be spaghettis in a different, uh, nicer way. Uh, beginning with proper starter like soup, uh, with bread, uh, soup with uh, maybe mandazi, our Swahili way, or soup with uh, uh, pancakes or bread. So it depends. That's it will be the starter. I think it's great. All the fresh food. I know when I was in Nepal, I, when I came off uh, the mountain after like twenty eight days, all I wanted was vegetables because I I hadn't had any anything green, no tomatoes, and it's like it was all just packaged food. And uh, I think it's great that there's fresh fruits and vegetables. Like it's so nice when you're trekking. You know, normally we just have these prepackaged meals where everything's dehydrated, but it's, it's great that there's fresh, you know, fresh food. That's, I love that. Yeah, you're very right. Because even me, I've climbed, I won't mention which mountain, but I've climbed one mountain also then uh, in, in South America. And then in some days, as you say, you do have this boiled food and then um, they are, they are energetic, but you're, you're missing that kind of soup and other stuff, as you say, but it's, here is different. We do have fresh uh, soup, but also fresh meals, according to how, uh, as I said, our cook can cook international meals. We also care about all the different nationalities we have. I know one question that people always ask is on any of these kind of mountaineering trips is, is what are the toilets like? And it's a question, you know, people are really concerned. And so the toilets change based on if you're in Marengo with the you know, the, the mountain huts every stage or in the, the camping versions of the other routes? Yeah, exactly. Obviously, Marango, because has many huts, that means they have developed that, that route more on toilets as well. Uh, but also the other routes, they have uh, several improved toilets, like tiles, proper building, bigger building as well but not on each camp. In most of the camps, they have um, built those ones. But otherwise, you do have these long drops of which is the hut, and then you have the hole into the ground uh, for saving yourself to number one <laughs> or number two. <laughs> if you want to send any email, you can send a quick email there. But to be honest, it will be a little bit smelly than normal. So get ready for that. <laughs> but the good thing is because of technology and all of this material we have now from all over the world, we have portable toilets of which is like these aeroplane toilets or into the uh, special cars toilets, but big buses. So it's like a proper sitting toilet with flushing as well. But after using that, then we just put some chemicals into it. Then uh, we, uh, uh, we just uh, get that into the normal 
long drop toilets later on and it's cleared. So if you really need to, uh, you have issue with the toilet, with smelly, because some people are like, no, I'm not used to this. I'm 50, but I've never been <laughs> into these squashing toilets. I always have a sitting down toilet. I've been with people like that. You're like, oh my God, okay. So uh, we provide them the portable toilet of which is like normal and private. You will all use yourself with your group. Or if you're just one person, it's just for you, the old trip. So no interaction with others. It's a big issue for some people. Uh, growing up in the Canadian Rockies, I'm used to outhouses and, you know, nothing phases me. But uh, I know for people that haven't had it, you know, that's that's keeping them back from, from, from going on some trips. You talked a bit about altitude. And I want to talk about altitude sickness in terms of, you know, what what you you do to help prevent people getting altitude sickness because obviously that's something if you get altitude sickness you know your trip's over you got to go down to a lower elevation um, but there are steps you know you can take to reduce the likelihood of getting altitude sickness so i'm interested in what what you do to help people you know not not have the debilitating effects of altitude oh definitely i will give you a nicer bigger picture if you will not mind in a short way. So on any mountain in the world, there are, is, or we have three types of people, like three types of people, any mountain in the world. These are people which their body will acclimatize faster. Like soon when they get to the high altitude, like 3,500, they start feeling the symptoms like headache, nausea, or breathless into their body. But also it will come out faster, like after climbing high, coming lower, their body will adapt quickly. But there are some people, which is number two of them, these are people which will acclimatize slowly. Let's say day three, day four of the mountain, even day five as they go to the summit, they start to feel the altitude. But also, these are altitude symptoms, not sickness. I will differentiate the symptoms and the, secret, uh, uh, the sickness. So symptoms as they feel headache, nausea, breathless, and things like that. These are number two people which they will feel, regardless age, gender, which country you're from, and how strong you are. These are adjust genetically that way. But number three are people who are just okay on the high altitude. They are genes, they can take more of the high altitude, of which regardless age, gender, or fitness. Even though if you're fitter, you used to exercise or to walk, that will help you more. But this regardless to all of this, but all of these three people, whether it's number one, faster, number two, slower, or number three, that you don't feel it, you all have to do four things, four simple things of which any human can do. <laughs> any human can do. Okay, number one, you have to eat. 
When you mean about eating, it means eat enough for your body. On your mountain, the body is burning a lot of calories. So you need to replace that by eating. You need calories for working, for climbing, but calories for living. So you're not there to say, oh, I'm on diet, you know, I don't need to eat much because I don't want to get bigger or what. You will not get bigger. You will lose weight on Kilimanjaro. <laughs> oh, Hakuna Matata. <laughs> okay, so eating, very important. Number two is drinking. You have to drink enough water. Enough, that means two liters minimum of clear water. If you will make three liters, that will be greater. Three liters a day of clear water. Yes, like the one you're drinking. <laughs> <laughs> I just took a drink. Yeah, you're making water. I think I better have some water. Yeah, yeah. that's really good. <laughs> yeah, so three liters will help your body to stay hydrated. Because when you're up on the mountain... As the process of the high altitude getting into your body, like acclimatization, sometimes the blood gets thicker because of losing water as you're sweating a lot. Or if you're using also these high altitude uh, uh, pills, then you're peeing a lot. That means the body needs enough material like water to help itself uh, uh, develop it, itself well, like on red blood cells and white blood cells. So the best cure of the mountain, the best way of the mountain is water. Even if you're taking these high attitude pills or high attitude medicine, which are maybe uh, uh, Diamox uh, or the other ones, acetazolamide, it means you still need to drink even more water. So the, uh, the idea is all about water. So if you want to present to prevent, make sure you eat enough, but make sure water. Water is very, 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 very important. Even to myself, to all mountains I'm climbing, I also drink even more than what I'm telling the others to do. Because that's very, very important to any, any human. And that water helps the body to, to, to go into the uh, nicer ways. It's like a factory giving enough material to manufacture the product you want. So the same thing, if you drink enough water, the body will not be struggling to pump the blood into the system. So it's not causing the heart to pump the blood harder because of lack of water. So it's just thirsty. We say that if you wait until you're thirsty on the mountain, is you're not drinking because you're thirsty. You drink because your body needs water. So don't wait until I'm thirsty. Oh, I need to drink. That is almost like late. But you have to drink before you're thirsty. Uh, number three of how to prevent the, the high altitude uh, uh, sickness is easy just to go slowly. Pole, pole. Pole, pole, as my brother <laughs> Daniel said. Pole Pole, you will hear that a lot into Tanzanian mountains because that is our way. Pole Pole, that means don't rush, take your time. If you walk and feel you're breathless, 
and you cannot talk like, you know, brother Rich, <laughs> that means you're going faster. You need to slow more down to be able to talk without being breathless. So that's the way it is. Your guide will help you to go that way slow. So we need you to go slowly. I know you train in many mountains, maybe before you come to Kilimanjaro, other mountains around, but here we'll train you to be lazy. We'll train you to go slowly. So you'll be taking your time and that's how your body wanted because of lack of oxygen as well. Because on the high altitude, as you go higher, the oxygen molecules are scattered, are scattered. So the body still needs the same amount of oxygen, but within the air, the oxygen molecules are different. It's why you have more baromatic pressure. So this is why if you're rushing into it, the body is struggling because it needs the same amount of oxygen. So you just need to go slowly to be safe, which your guide will guide you to do that way. But last but not least, resting. Whenever we give you time to rest on the way, make sure you make that resting useful. Not giving a time to rest, then you're running for a picture, you're running to this, you're running to this. Yes, you're standing within the same place, but you're not resting, you're running around, you're running to the toilet, you're running to the picture, you're running to see the monkey, you're running to see this. I think you just need to go slowly and see what you need to see. And because you are a tourist, you can tell a monkey, just wait there. I'm a tourist. I'm coming to see you. I think you'll wait for you there, okay? So that's a very four simple ways of, of mobilizing or minimizing the high altitude risk. And I've seen this to many mountains that I've climbed around the world, as well as to thousands and thousands of clients which have been with them, have seen helping so highly. So we don't wait until the problem, but we're preventing the problem before the problem becomes the problem. Uh, excellent. I, I love those tips. Um, one last question on people that are thinking of booking a trip to do Kili. Are there certain times of the year that are better for climbing uh, Kili, or is it kind of something you can do year-round? I think uh, Kilimanjaro it's a different sometimes I can say because you can climb Kilimanjaro in any time that you wish to climb but it depends on um, the person uh, the fitness <clears throat> of the person but uh, uh, for example from January to March the best time to climb Kilimanjaro but from May I mean April to May uh, the, there is uh, only one uh, route that you can climb Kilimanjaro uh, without any um, challenge of rain, uh, which is uh, Rongai route, because it's the uh, uh, other side of uh, nearby uh, Kenya border. So it's, uh, we, we differ in terms of season. On this side uh, of Mosh Town, it's a raining season. But other side, it's a dry season. So you can climb Kilimanjaro through Rongai route in that uh, month is or April and May. But other, other months, you can climb uh, any route that you wish to climb Kilimanjaro. 
on a two two months we recommend uh, we recommend to climb uh, through Rongai Road, which is the best uh, for seven days. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I will, that's in, that's incredible. You know, you just realize how big Kilimanjaro is. That you know, just on one side, it's a completely different weather system as the other side. Like, you know, we don't have that here in in Canada, where you know it's you know, dry on one side, snowy or rainy on, rainy on the other. <laughs> uh, one thing I think is really interesting about what Asante Tours does is is they work with people with disabilities to climb Kili. And I was interested to learn a little bit more because this is such a great program. Uh, can you tell me about how, how it works? Normally how we do is like we increasing the uh, special care on them because, as you say, the disabilities normally... Uh, they cannot go as other people the normal ways how 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 they go, so you different the time to move, but increasing the team supporting team, but also we also value uh, the route that they'll be going. Um, uh, let's say like for example, I've been with somebody like who was missing the leg, and we did with her. Rongai was the one which uh, my brother Daniel mentioned, and we went on that route for seven days. But what we had is just to have the extra team, extra team for support, but make sure you start as early as possible, but also somehow have like uh, other facilities that can mobilize uh, the situation according to what kind of disability is because that one was missing legs but i've been with some also was like a blind they couldn't they cannot see uh these were soldiers of some uh, countries but also some was also uh missing one leg so depend of which type of uh of disability is because normally in society they could be seen like okay this guy's missing leg or missing both legs or hands. They cannot do anything. But to do something like that is a bigger achievement to them, but a bigger a lesson to their family and to the friends, but also to all of us, like being highly inspired and they can feel that they can still do things that the world can um realize that is a, a greater thing because even the people with legs and hands some they have found a challenge on kilimanjaro or on climbing some mountains but also this disability if they do that it means like we still together with them and they are able to do even uh the harder things that people they can found it also challenge the same as themselves so it was really great to be able to share this lovely moment with them. And personally, I've been highly inspired, I've been highly touched by, by, by them because I have been with most or some of them in the office and that's been an amazing, amazing time for real. It's a part of an adventure we've, we've, we've missed over the last you know 100 years of developing this is that we can't cater to everybody. And just because people have a disability doesn't mean they don't want to share the joys and the beauty of nature and the outdoors. Uh, speaking of that, you know, most people getting to the top Achilles, a lifelong dream for them. Um, but there's a lot in Tanzania to do. And so do you see a lot of guests that choose to combine climbing Kili with 
you know, more exploring in Tanzania? And, and like, what do people like to combine with a Achille climb? Yeah, um, usually, of course, uh, Tanzania is diversity in terms of uh, destination and, and attraction. Uh, for sure, it's a blessed. Um, for example, the most popular that someone climb Kilimanjaro and then uh, do safari. For example, they, they mostly uh, like uh, Ngorongoro and Serengeti because Ngorongoro is very, very popular in the world. I also Serengeti, most of attraction found in Serengeti is migration, with beast migration, which is a very uh, uh, attraction that every person that um, rich in Tanzania like want to to exp experience this uh, with beast migration. Like uh, with beast migrate from Kenya, then cross Masai Mara, came to Tanzania, just drop babies and like that that's yeah that, that, that experience many of uh, tourists want to experience also um zanzibar most of clients do zanzibar just to unwind after uh highest uh freestanding in, in in the world and the highest mountain in africa like i just want to relax before uh, uh going back to my home place so these are three um, major things uh, that um, most of clients do after after Kilimanjaro climbing. It's a great way to combine, you know, you can kind of do three incredible things. If you've got, you know, two and a half weeks that you climb Kili, you see the incredible national parks. You mentioned Nagoro, Nagoro and Serengeti, but it's there's so much wildlife to see. And then at the end, you kind of celebrate, you know, on the beach, you know, Cocktails, great seafood, you know, soft sand, and uh, there's not many places in the world you can kind of combine, you know, these three things that are all so different, um, but they're all just celebrating the natural world and being outdoors and, you know, being healthy. It's 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 so special what Tanzania is. And then as I said, as, as I said in the start when I was there, just the people are just so warm. It's just such a welcoming country to go to and. Um, as a as a tourist, it's just like really really fun to just to just learn about the Tanzanian culture. Yeah, yeah. yeah. As you say, the culture also there is culture tour, so you could go to the nearby villages if you don't want to go as far just to see how the culture is, spending time with them. But also there is a bike tour as well. Yeah. So if you're strong enough, want to wander around for an easy touristic bike tour not very much challenge. You can just do a bike tour as well into the villages of which you're cycling within the animals like ostrich, zebra, giraffe, you know. It's like you're like in Madagascar movie into, <laughs> into, the, same, into the same place. Yeah, it's like crazy. Yeah, for sure. Uh, it's uh, amazing because if you see, actually you can't do uh, Tanzania, the whole Tanzania, like in two weeks, it's it's not enough, because uh, when you when you say in terms of uh, cultural diversity, we have many many like one hundred plus tribes that uh, has preserved their culture, and it's very interesting. Also, in terms of waterfalls, natural landscape, it's very very amazing. So uh, you you can't even. Uh, finished to explore Tanzania within even two weeks. You can't uh, finish it. So um, if 
person like uh, want to explore more, just one month, you can at least I can say at least you can enjoy uh, uh, most of Tanzania's uh, destinations. Yeah, you know, it's it's like every place in the world, you know, we, we, we kind of get accustomed to going to a place for one week or two weeks, but you can't learn about that, and especially a, a country like Tanzania. Uh, it's just not enough time. Uh, Julius and Daniel, this has been great hearing about uh, Kili, but then also like these other, you know, the dream of, you know, a, a safari and then enjoying a beach right now. It's snowy and cold outside here in Canada. So uh, I was... Uh, uh, living vicariously thinking of, you know, having some great seafood over uh, charcoal uh, uh, on a beach uh, in Zanzibar. But thanks for coming on to the show. I really appreciate uh, appreciate you taking the time and sharing your expertise and knowledge. Yeah, yeah. Thank you so much. I just want to add on um, just uh, one thing uh, um, that is very interesting. Uh, one of our uh, achievement that we achieved as uh, Santa Tours, uh, our our CEO Cuthbert Swai, he has uh, interested story like he was uh, like a porter, you know, porter. These uh, people carrying uh, luggages to the mountain in that days, but he become a uh, main guide after a few after a few years. Then he uh, decided to open like to established the company to a company uh, uh, in 19, uh, 1990s. So uh, he was awarded uh, by Tanapa uh, 2020 uh, as, a, as a Santa Tours um, uh, CEO uh, who, uh, in terms of, as a best operator for Mawens Peak te Technical Climb. Uh, Mawens Peak is the part of uh, Kilimanjaro uh, and it's a very technical uh, uh, peak that you, uh, we, I think no one has made it to the top uh, for these current years, but uh, our CEO made it uh, in 2020. Uh, so he's very, very passionate with uh, adventurous things. And he always, and tomorrow he will be climbing with a few group yeah, exactly. of, <laughs> of that doing Kilimanjaro. So he's very uh, good person and inspiring young people to to love nature to to uh, like um to 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 give that best to the tourists that service um and, and he have he has um, more than like uh 30 years of experience climbing kilimanjaro so it's a very very nice uh interesting story from our ceo Cuthbert Swai. So thank you so much, uh, Rich, for this time. And we really enjoyed and we have to, to listen to the podcast. <laughs> definitely, definitely. And what a great story about the founder, Cuthbert Swai. Uh, I love this idea of a mission to inspire young people to love nature. I've always felt, you know, once people start recreating, recreating in nature and once they experience the joy and the um, tranquility we all get from spending time in nature, that's when we start valuing it and wanting to preserve it. And so by inspiring young people, that's that's how we're going to preserve these incredible wild places. Um, and that's just, so that's a great way to end this uh, this podcast. For those listening, I'm going to put links to the treks Julius and Daniel discussed in my show notes. Uh, so if you want to learn a little bit more about the different options. Uh, and with that, thanks for listening to this episode of the 10 Adventures podcast. We'll be back next week to explore the world and hear about more epic adventures.
Listen to other episodes of the 10 Adventures podcast on Amazon Music at amazon.com slash 10 adventures.